it started yet, though. It just did. But yeah, so they so as I'm reading that uh, there that you read Russell at at ten, uh-huh. and I'm just going to recap ten twenty nine, uh-huh. willing to justify himself. This is where we find out, as I say, in fourteen and fifteen what God, what Christ is certainly conveying here and what you conveyed from the scripture is that there are things that are knowable and these things that you started out to talk to us about in the uh, uh, the certain lawyer there in Luke chapter 10, uh, he's telling us, hey, there are th- some that want to justify themselves before men. And they work at it. They are constantly at work justifying themselves in the eyes and the sight of man. And Christ conveys a small little story there about somebody who did not seek to justify himself in the eyes of men, but rather justified himself, so to speak, by just merely doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a hard thing at all to do. And to Christ, but, God in the flesh, knowing the heart, said that the way that I know the heart is that I see what you're willing to do. Well, yes, and also I think that that, that it, this Samaritan was not, and he was a, a, a different tribe, wasn't it? I mean, it was not a Hebrew. Uh, I don't know. I mean, formally, they're not. When you look them up, they're not. But he certainly acted as if if he was a man of character. Uh, These are fruits that he's displaying. Right. Right. Well, certainly what we've learned is that the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, obviously commissioned them to be a blessing to the world and taught them right mm-hmm. statutes and right judgment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the Samaritan here is used probably in two ways. Number one, as you remember from a couple of weeks ago as I was conveying some of the thoughts regarding the disciples, um, Samaritan and the land of Samaria and, and, and a Samaritan, they were thought of pretty evilly. They they were thought as being nothing more than crooked individuals and and so forth. So giving the story and telling the story in this fashion using the Samaritan, that was going to have an impact on this young lawyer as well because this is the way that we sometimes look at things. We we look at the world and think of that person as a as a you know a real reprobate instead of. Well, um, Doug, go ahead. Doug, in modern times, we could say it was a black guy with a hoodie on, couldn't we? Uh, you could say that. You could use a lot of different uh, descriptive uh, ways to to try to characterize the the individuals in the story absolutely but he had a conscience of a christ-like 
person. Exactly. And that was exactly opposite of the other two formal, outwardly Christ-like people. So we see here that they were all hat and no, no cows, or all boot and no cows. They were all talk. Well, right? yeah, and, and that's I think I think that's like I say that's one of the very reasons he uses the two characters to convey the story, the Samaritan mm-hmm. and the Levite. If a Levite was, in the eyes of most at that time, if a Levite was one who was supposed to be the epitome of righteousness, a characterization of one after the heart of God, so to speak, uh, a one interested in the will of God, etc., that held in that cast right? held in high esteem exactly, and that cast that individual. Uh, in quite a distinction to to the individual known as a Samaritan, uh, uh-huh. you know, in those days. And so that's why I say uh-huh. I think uh, twofold he was trying to pitch the story using what would be inflammatory in some respects to uh, others in their consciences uh, because if you hold somebody in such deep, you know, disregard. And each of us, each of us has has that same thing that is going to come upon us at any time in a situation like this. If you were passing by an accident and you happen to see that the individuals are are Indian and and you stop to render aid and and then decide, oh, well, because they're Indian, I, I guess I'll pass. Or as you said, the the black guy and what if they're lawyers? And yeah, or exactly, Rich. What if they're lawyers? Um, that was Bill Dyer. Was that? that was Bill Dyer. Oh, Bill? Well, hi, Bill. Yeah, do we stop if they're lawyers? <laughs> right. If we, do we stop if they're lawyers? You, you or know, or insurance suggestors? What what if what if they're all insurance suggestors? <laughs> Or Democrats. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, well, uh, good evening. Good evening, men. I wanted to, uh, this would be a good place for me to interject something. Uh, I was just talking to a young man about today that's in the, in the profession of uh, spreading the gospel, and it's happened with me, and I'm sure it's happened to everybody here, especially when you, you've introduced people to the, to the Christian Israel or identity message, whatever you want to call it. And and then they've got I don't know they've got a, a a grandma that's like a quarter of Cherokee or something like that and that's the first thing they bring up is well what about what about that and, and uh, you know what about uh, spiritual Israel or what if what if my ancestor is a, a is a uh, an Indian or a black person or whatever and, and the question that uh, that me and this uh, young preacher was discussing today. Uh, how do you talk to those people? And what I've always done is just ask them, is it more important to be an Israelite or is it more important to be a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's what's more important is to be a Christian uh, because we can be an Israelite all we want if we're, if, if we're not in Christ. Then it doesn't really well, matter. Well, then... 
So we would so be just that. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Russell. The better question. The better question is what makes you a Christian, and we just read some evidence of somebody caring about exactly. another helpless person, and and exactly. it was Tyler Samaritan, but. Maybe this Samaritan had a lot of Hebrew blood in him. I don't know. You know, well, maybe he was just a good, good Christian. This race issue is going to be thrown in our face daily from now on, and we best get a handle on it and how to answer these questions that people will say we're all in Christ we're all equal in in these things well you'll and, know them by their fruits uh, and that's the and thing it, is that exactly and we see fruits here in the scripture absolutely don't we? well and that's why I flipped this over to um, to Luke chapter uh, what was it uh, 15 um, yeah it was uh, 8 16 and 16 or 15, 16, yeah, 15, 15. 16 and, and verse 15. You see, because this is exactly what he says to the Pharisees. He, he knows the covetousness of their heart. They, they, they liked the, the enlarged phylacteries. They, they liked the upper, to be seated in the upper chambers and, and all of these uh-huh. things. And that's when he says unto them, he says, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And in fact, as I say, I think it's interesting the way you approach this uh, beginning here again tonight, because it segues right into many of the things that I was going to share with us out of... um, uh, Paul's writings in Corinthians about the very subject about raising and elevating men and the reason that <clears throat> I, I decided to to do it was I had gotten an email um, actually a text from an individual and um, you know it's very easy to take that text that comes in and and go boy you know uh, that person uh, you know really showered some accolades and uh, I, I you know I, I think it's because of the way I, I, I guess I'd like to believe it is this very thing that that Bill said and that you just read for us tonight I'd like to believe that it's the Christian in you that, that recoils, if you will. Um, when, when someone is intending to shower accolades upon you, um, you there's a part of you that, that thinks, wow, you know, that, that was really great. And, and, but then there's this other part of me, at least, and I think it's that way for many of us who are professing Christians, recoil at such a thing because we recognize that we're merely men. And the second thing that I recognize about that is that 
this is what someone who is coming to new truths is very susceptible to, is when you come to new truths, those that deliver those new truths to you, you tend to hold in high esteem. Yeah. And I think each of us could vouch for that. Amen. You know, and so as a result of being held in that or holding someone in that high esteem, you tend to hang on every word that they say. And that is the way so many professing Christians get drawn in to false preachers and false teachers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, instead we should have an attitude of thankfulness and uh, thankfulness and verify. Yeah, that's well, amen. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that as a, as a babe in Christ, so to speak, as the term sometimes is used, and Paul certainly uses it as well, is that there's a tendency and a propensity to, as I say, want to hang on every word uh, of, of someone. And, and so think of the Billy Grahams, think of the Jimmy Swaggers, think of the Joel Olsteins, Anybody that you believe or that an individual believes has led them to some, some magnificent truth in the scriptures or well, opened their eyes or that has baptized them or any one of a number of other things that we could point to, there, there is this propensity to want to hold them in a higher regard than they ought to be. Go ahead. For, for me, I can say Peter Peters. I was just going to say the same thing. You just beat me to it. Me, me as well. It, it, it was the same you, with me. Uh, I've gotten smarter, but uh, you know, I'm not saying that against Pastor Peters, but I am saying that I have gotten uh, smarter in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me well, too. and that was the that was the things that started to kind of make me reflect. I think um, because. Uh, that is the last thing that I want any individual to uh, look at me uh, about or in that regard. Now, there's much to be said on that, and, and I hope to get to it. So um, let's go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll give you some of the thoughts that that I have here. And... We'll also get into Ephesians. If somebody wants to open up uh, Ephesians, we could do uh, Ephesians 1, 9. I had a note for Ephesians 2, but it doesn't look like I gave myself a scriptural reference there, so I'd have to probably go into it myself and look at that. But in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. So what Paul is saying here is that I pray that whatever the utterance is, whatever the knowledge is, that you're enriched by Christ. And that's no small matter. And dropping down 
to verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, I don't believe that what Paul is conveying here, and I have to be very careful how this is being said, I don't believe that Paul is saying that every word that ever comes out of any one of our mouths is supposed to be the same. Um, what he is con- yeah, what he's clearly, yeah, what he's clearly conveying is that, that you're supposed to be of the same mind. You're supposed to be of the same spiritual mind. And let's continue on into 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And let's stop there, because this is the most important thing that he's trying to clarify. This is the division. The division is, well, I follow Russell, or, well, I follow this or I follow Matthew, or I follow Isaac. Because what? Did Isaac baptize you? Were you baptized into Paul? Were you baptized into Jeremiah? You know, this is what he's saying. Now this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I, Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, because I know not whether I baptized any other. And then he says, Christ sent me not to, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So in other words, he didn't have any great oratory or did he command great oratory, or was he seeking for great wisdom or oratory that he was going to impart, but just simply that wisdom that is Christ? And we're going to get to more of that as, as, it, as it comes along. But he's right. declaring at verses 13 to 15 that <clears throat> he's quite conscientious of those who look to a man and many a believer, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you still hear it today. You know, oh, I was saved at the Billy Graham crusade in, you know, 1971 you know, or, you know, whatever it might be. And Doug, go ahead. Doug, I've got, a, I've got a personal testimony of that exact same thing you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be baptized by Peter Peters, and I don't remember what the deal was, but I remember uh, Bill Dyer said... He told me to go do it. it. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> he told me to go do it. Well, and I, and I thought, that water's ice cold. And that guy's <laughs> just charging out there like a bull in a china cabinet. I better get out there. <laughs> And and I feel and I know that I'm just as baptized now by him as I would have been, you know, the master there. 
Pastor Peters. I, I guarantee you I'm baptized, and Bill Dyer did it. And I think it's just this, it. it's no different than birthing a baby. Yeah, he was just doesn't matter baby. doesn't matter who catches it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, back in those times, I thought, you know, you want to get the, the the king of the you want to get the big dog to do it. And uh, I see now, looking back on it, it it's like you said, it's just like birthing a baby. You no. Know? Well, you know, and I think that's what Paul was was so conscientious of is that is that really a man who looks to a man or the men or a man and believes that that person is responsible for having brought light to the word, you know, light of the word to him or, or to her. And the truth of the matter is, is that the calling is all of God. One plants, another waters, and, and this is all recorded here in the, in the following scriptures as well, which we may not get to all of them, but many converts to Christ's word give glory to men. And Russell, we just heard you do it. We just heard you give glory to Bill Dyer. And I know you didn't oh. intend it that I know you didn't intend it that way, but I'm just trying to show us and convey to us how easy that is for us to do. Absolutely. But I did say and, Bill was motivated by the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Bill was motivated by the spirit, and and otherwise Bill, he would Bill, have jumped in that cold lake. It was cold. <laughs> you know, um, and and what what Bill did was he did and acted upon that which the commission of God, the commission of Christ, already had given him. Amen. So he can't. Well, I understand what I was told. <laughs> well, well, okay, all right. So, see, now we all stand corrected. We understand that that Pastor Peters was held in esteem by by Russell, and Pastor Peters was held in esteem by Bill Dyer, and so Pastor Peters told Bill, "Go baptize that guy. Give him a dunk in the muddy river there, the muddy lake." <laughs> And so uh, Bill, Bill followed orders, you see. And so now the truth is out. We, we know that everybody just did what the man said to do. So, but now we know why it was all done, though, don't we? It was the spirit Actually, the that only was person doing who did all. anything was Russell. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I mean, really, I mean, now, or, now or you know, I mean, you can look at it. It depends on how you look at it, of course, with all the denominational differences, but it was Russell that... Uh, I'm going to tell you how I did it. I said, God, I understand this baptism thing now, and I want it. And the only thing that would stop me from doing it is my stupid pride. And so, yeah, that's... The Spirit was moving me, and anybody that needed to be used in that process was God-willed and oriented. So, Bill, I'm sorry, you you were just used. 
Well, and Paul is correcting this error. And in fact, if you go a little bit farther now to verse 18, he says, for preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so stopping here briefly, again, it is that foolishness of the preaching. When I convey something to one of these individuals, it is not that that I should be gloried or be held in glory or esteem. Um, I'm merely conveying what God has already laid out and given. And there are some that will say, but wait a minute, Doug, it wasn't until you said it or it wasn't until you, you know, you did this or I heard you say this that, that it opened the door to my understanding. Okay, well, maybe that's possible and it may be, actually what happened but still it was already there (laughs) and people don't want to hear you say that because then it's like well now you're calling me an idiot and i didn't see it before and no that's (laughs) not what i'm saying at all (laughs) you know you can think of it you can think of it as a uh an atlas going on a going on a road trip in your car with an atlas you know there are different brands of atlases and they're all going to get you where you need to go uh well if you get if you get a good one it's going to get you where you need to go but it's not uh you didn't get in the car for the atlas right you got in the car for where mm-hmm. the, the actual destination that you're trying to get to the things that you're going to see on the way there that would be god right and the atlas yep. is the person that's mm-hmm. guiding you uh in that direction mm-hmm. even if it's your wife in the other seat yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought that's where well, Isaac was going to go with it. <laughs> Especially look, if it's look, your wife, look, yes. <laughs> look at look at Bill Dyer as a tool. You know, that tool was used, and it was a good tool. That yeah. tool was used by the Spirit. And, and, and he had to make himself available for that. So... It does all come from the Spirit, but God works through men, doesn't he? Yes. Now, verse 24, but unto them which are called. Now, I tell people, underline that right there. But unto them which are called, both Judean and Greek, that word there, Jew, there should not be translated Jew, there it should be Judean and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so that's what I was saying is that, you know, the preaching of the word of truth is really where the glory lies, in the word of truth. A man merely speaks it and God brings it to the recipient that's being called. And so the person that's being called that you're conversing with you know 
that's when you convey the truth that you have to convey. And when that individual is enlightened by that truth because he's truly being called, Uh then it has power to them because it opens that door of understanding. But it wasn't you that opened the door of that understanding. It was the word of truth that opened the door to that understanding, which gives rise to the wisdom. Mm-hmm. So that's a very da- that can be a dangerous position if uh, that vehicle starts to think in it's me doing all this. Right? It very much does become a, a dangerous vehicle, and and yeah, I think that's. I think that's why you see so much false doctrine that is peddled by those individuals because it's that false doctrine that holds the people in this captivity outside of the truth. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. What, yeah. One thing I've, I've noticed when it comes to false preachers is they only have as much power as somebody's willing to give them. And yeah. they really don't, be, they can't really become exalted uh, if the people are doing what they're supposed to do. Study to show thyself approved before God, for example. And uh, I know I'm guilty of this with uh, several doctrines, taking it at face value, because I, tr- I quote, trusted the preacher, he should know what he's talking about. He knows a whole lot more uh-huh. than I do. And uh, then taking taking his word for it, everything he says, and then and, and you come to the point where you don't even look it up anymore. You just sit there with your, your hands folded, listening, and uh-huh. before you know it, it, it may be 15 years, 20 years, and uh, you may believe something that you don't even understand how you came to believe it. I mean, you can't, you couldn't right. defend it, and uh, like but it all goes back to. I'm sorry. It's like biscuits and gravy. You just start sopping it up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have had to make uh, several humbling discoveries, and I was thankful for it. But because I realized what I did, I, I didn't search things out for myself. I just, just did what the preacher or teacher or whoever said and then never uh, never searched it out to see if it was so, or to search out other opinions, because one thing I've discovered when, when you're teaching or even with yourself trying to understand, if you're teaching baptism for remission of sins, you need to know why the other people say not to. That way, when you're teaching somebody and they say, well, why? what about this or what about that? Same thing with the Israel message. Sorry? You get the Israel message. Yes, exactly. And uh, with the Israel message, it's important to know what the Judeo-Christians out there believe because you can kind of understand where they're coming from so you can dismantle their argument. And at the same time, by dismantling their argument, you're discovering more truth for yourself because you're affirming what you believe. Now, let me expand on that right there, Matthew, in this particular uh, fellowship here. 
flip over to Ephesians. I don't know who was there, but I'm there now. If somebody wants to read it, they can go ahead. And um, Ephesians 1.9. Because this goes right to your point. Anybody ready besides me? Ephesians I can read 1, it. 9. Go ahead, Jeremiah. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. You want me to All continue? Right. That, no, just that one right there. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now you may think, okay, well, how does this tie with what Matthew just said? You see, this is a scripture that can be used to say that Paul had special knowledge. And what do you often hear from the false teachers and the false preachers, Bill? God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I have special the knowledge. Witness I, to me. The Spirit witnessed to me. The Spirit spoke to me. You see, and so when you can take in a, a scripture like Ephesians 1.9 and say, well, look, you see, God opened the mystery to the Apostle Paul. Brother Doug, don't you know that? That God will reveal things, and he certainly revealed something to the Apostle Paul. Well, not so fast. Because if you read more of the scripture and you read more of the Apostle Paul's writing, if you drop on down to 12 in Ephesians 1, it says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, once again, we're talking about something that was known, and we're going to see that it was known. We should be in praise of his glory, in whom you trusted after you heard that word of that truth. So we don't, once we hear the word of that truth, we glory in that which is his word, and it's the praise that's due him. And that's the important thing to, to continue to glean from these scriptures that sometimes I think we just gloss over when we read the words. And that salvation and the gospel of that salvation it has nothing whatsoever to do with what somebody else had said or anything else, that salvation still rests and resides in the place where it manifested and came from in the beginning. Amen. In and fact, I think it's in... Go ahead, Russell. I was just going to say, and that's one way to... To test the spirit. To see if these guys start swelling up like a blowfish. You know, after they yeah, I flipped, I flipped over to 2.5 because 
Now, this is important in 2.5, but more importantly probably is to continue on from 2 to 3, and we probably won't take time to do it. But for those of you who are listening to the archives and you hear, um, for example, the, uh, the message series Israel, Judah, and Jew, once again, here in this chapter 2 of Ephesians, is where we find the enmity that was being discussed. And what was that enmity? That enmity was between Israel, who had been cast off and divorced, Jeremiah 3.8, and Judah, who was allowed to remain in their sin, and God did not divorce them. Because he was working a mystery that was revealed in the prophets. Now, I went a little bit beyond there, but if you're having trouble keeping up with that or catching the essence of that, certainly send an email or anything and, and we'll, we'll review that more because I don't really want to take that much time on it tonight. But in 2.5, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ? And that's exactly what happened is what he's talking about is the quickening together was not only of individuals, but quickening together of both Israel and Judah. And that's where I say down here in 16, the reconcile both unto God in one body on the cross. That's exactly the two becoming the one, the two sheepfolds that he had, bringing the two sheepfolds back together under the one sheepfold. So that's an important part of that. And again, at 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It has nothing to do with that individual who laid you down in that watery grave of baptism. It has nothing to do with somebody else who talked to you about doing that. It has nothing whatsoever to do with any of those things, but you're saved by the grace through the faith that you took that said, I need to do this. 11 through 16 is the confirmation of this. And as I say, I don't, you know, for the sake of time, want to go through the entire thing um, so that we don't run out of time here. But um, my uh, thoughts took me from here back to John chapter 6. And it's interesting that uh, Russell started with that story about the young lawyer. But in John chapter 6, see if I can. Oh, yeah, uh, that's where I was going with that. After he had fed the multitude, you see, Christ disappeared. Um, he went up to a, into a mountain, the scripture says, but then um, he arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where others had taken a ship, and they knew that he was not in that ship. So they're like, how did you get here? And the Pharisees want to know how he got there. Um, let's see, where does that begin? Maybe around the 20s, uh, uh, 25, 6, uh, Oh, yeah, here we are, 26. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you, okay, let me stop at 25. John chapter 6, verse 25, sorry. 
And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when came you hither? Well, Jesus doesn't answer them when he came hither. Here's his answer. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you don't seek me because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for meat which perishes, but for the meat that endures under everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him, uh, for him has the God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, Well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? See, that's always the thing that happens next is, Well, what shall we do? And in the false preachers and teachers, the next thing that you should do is give an offering. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I figured that Bill would be the first one to say that. I mean, that's the next thing you got to do. What do we do? You know, what do we... And, and so they said, that, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And so as they are wanting to know what to do, Jesus answers and says to them, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he had sent. And this is another one of these profound proof texts about those who call themselves Jews today being God's chosen people. I mean, it can't get any plainer than this. He says to them, the very Pharisees, he says, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. And they still couldn't receive it. They still could not receive it. They still could not accept it. And they rejected it. There's a lesson Dropping there down to verse... I'm sorry, go ahead. I said there's a lesson there for us to learn, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Dropping down to verse 30, they said, therefore, unto him, what sign shows thou then that we may see and believe thee? See, it wasn't enough that they were told what the work that they should do would be. Then they needed the sign. You see, the Stoics, they needed wisdom. The Greeks, the Stoics, they all wanted, you know, wisdom. You know, is it in the stars? Is it is it in the in the celestial body movements and so forth? And the Pharisees want a sign, and so they're saying, "Okay, give it, give us some kind of sign so that we can believe you." What does you what you know? What does thou work? And then they go on to tell about how their fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Christ simply said, believe on him who sent me. Just believe on him. And the focus, my point is, is the focus is always right back to who? Right back to God. God or Christ. Christ, God in the flesh. One and the same. And so, if they believed God and they believed in the manna that they received and everything else, then he's that wisdom. He is the wisdom to the call. And that's no small thing. It, it just 
It's not because of signs. It's not because of wonders. It's not because of the church that you go into and they're filled with the Spirit, you think, because they're doing signs and wonders of men, works of men. It's but of the call of God. And when you're called of God, you, you, when you're being called of God, you're the one seeking after the truth. And God will direct you to the one who can assist you in unlocking the mystery of his calling. Well, go on to 36. Go on to 36, and Jesus says, But I say to you that you have seen me. You've seen me. You don't believe me. God in flesh. And Mm -hmm. yet you do not believe. And so when somebody comes along and you impart truth to them, um, just remember that that individual is being called. That individual may be looking for signs and may be looking for wonders and may be looking for things. But I tell you, when you have a man who sees the truth in the word, to me, brethren, there is no greater joy than I have in recognizing that that person did not see great wisdom in in me or an individual, did not see great signs and great wonders, but actually came to it because of the truth and isn't that just uh, that's just to me it's it's just so fabulous and so um i don't know i want to say so much better you know what i mean yeah indeed so much more meaningful (laughs) now flip back to first corinthians um when we go back to verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 1, he says here at 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. An interesting thing here is that this verse here cross-references back to John 7:48, And the Pharisees in John 7:48 said, Have any of these rulers or any of these Pharisees believed on him? You see? Uh And this is exactly what Paul is trying to share with them, is that there weren't a lot of wise. There weren't a lot of wise after the flesh, so to speak, and there weren't very many mighty or any noble or very many noble that were called. Now, that says something. You know, if if God is not going to call the mighty, the noble, and the wise after the flesh, then he's trying to share with you, it, it is not men who are to receive the glory. And I think that young... I think that young Christians are the most susceptible of this, and I think that's why so many of them get drawn in 
to false teaching and false preaching. And somebody mentioned here about each of us being responsible to dig into that word. And I understand it as this man that I, I'm referencing that gave the inspiration for this, this thought uh, for this fellowship tonight, um, I know that he has conveyed to me how there were many things throughout his, quote, Christian walk, end quote, that just did not seem right. But you know what happened there is he did not find answers where he was seeking those answers. That wasn't a fault because this happens to so many of us. Because in searching after something or having a question on something, if, if we're not diligently working to seek it on our own, and we're going to a pastor or a, a church leader seeking that answer, and they whitewash that answer and further direct us more into the web of deceit, of the false teachings, which is what I believe happened. And I think we all can recognize it and see that that's happened to many of us in the same sense. And they're looking to foolishness as they continue to hang on every word of, of their teacher, or their preacher, or their pastor. They're looking for the signs and the wonders that are about to unfold and, and the next revelation that the, that the, the leader is going to you know, uh, convey and, and share on the next Sunday service. And that's what they come back for. They come back for the next piece of the information, and even if it's false information. I mean, how many people have we seen that have repeatedly gone on and on and on about all of these end-time prophecies and all the machinations and all the timetables that they've gone into and everything else? And the Scripture says it is not for anyone to know, not even the Father. Or rather, I should say, not not even Christ said he didn't even know, but only the Father. Go ahead. Yeah, the Son didn't even know. Yeah, the Son didn't even know. And so, anyhow, it just it seems to me that none of the princes knew the mystery of the wisdom of God. And so now, back to that question. Well, gee, Doug. You know, something had been revealed to Paul. And what was it that, you know, Paul had revealed to him? Um, He must have had some, you know, given knowledge or something that was being conveyed to him and so forth. And um, I think it's safe to say that none of these will ever be heard telling the call of Christ that the biblical record is actually conveying many events which have already actually occurred. Good. And so many of them are still hanging on some word that is being conveyed to them as if it's something that's to happen yet future, and it's likely already occurred. Mm-hmm. But 
for whatever reason, that teacher, leader, preacher, pastor is not conveying those truths. And we can only speculate why. Either the individual does not know or the individual glories in the glory of men. There's dozens and dozens of prophecies and doctrines that are already written of being fulfilled. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to repeat the words of a rock star, and this is for whatever it's worth, column. He said, I heard him say it, when you stand up in front of thousands and thousands of people, and they're all cheering and clapping and hollering more, more, more from you. He said, that's the most dangerous, uh, what's that, opioid? What's the drug that oh, sure. heroin is made out of? <clears throat> he said, that's the most powerful opiate I ever had. And he said, and I've had them all. Nothing tops <laughs> that adulation. You know, when Paul tells us at 2-2 two, two in Corinthians, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right there, he's trying to tell you that he didn't want to have any other words that he could convey to you. He, you know, when you think about it, that's the, the simplicity of what he's saying. For I determined not to know anything among you save Christ and him crucified. Because the rest of it could be, you know, misconstrued. And that's really what he's conveying there. So you're not of Paul, you're not of Apollos, because if you are, you're carnal. Because who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Those are merely ministers by whom you believe. And these men all wanted to believe in them. But it's the word of Christ that one is to believe. At 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, you know, I mentioned that that scripture is one that is, is often used to show that God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Just as we saw in, in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, um, or was that Ephesians? And that was that, the idea that there's, well, there's revealed knowledge there, God. Something is being revealed. But as we go along in the scripture, we're going to find out that, no, it's not. God revealed this special knowledge is not very revealed at all. It's it's in the, it wasn't any special knowledge, I should say, um, because it was according to the mystery. Um, in fact, that's where we need to go, Romans chapter 16. Before you leave, read 11, or I'll read it. Yeah, go ahead. I'll start at 10, 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Absolutely. So, looking at men, of course, you're going to have the same thoughts as a man. And the thought of a man is is that somebody gave you something or revealed something special to you because you think as a man. 
um, over to Romans chapter 16, and in verse uh, 25 to 26, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the teaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Verse 26, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. You see? There's nothing new or some great mystery that Paul was trying to convey other than nobody knew how it was possible that God was going to redeem Israel. That was a mystery. Because once a divorced man was divorced from his wife, he could not be reunited with the former husband, a woman could not be reunited with the former husband. And God was the husband of Israel. We know that there was a division. We had the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And the ten northern tribes were still called Israel. Judah and Benjamin were of the house of Judah. Jeremiah 3.8 teaches us that God divorced Israel. How is a divorced Israel going to be reunited with her former husband after she played the harlot and was divorced and put away by God and the law of God forbid the divorced woman from ever reuniting with her former husband after she had gone and been with another? That was the mystery. That, and that mystery was conveyed, and that revelation of that mystery was conveyed, as Paul says right here to the Romans at verse 26, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. See, it was there. It was to be made known. 27. 27. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. There's no new revelation, no manifestation of new wisdom or knowledge, just a further manifestation of the will of God revealed in his word. Amen. It was, it was clearly recorded the whole time, but men did not believe it. They did not believe that it could ever happen because God cannot lie. A divorced woman could not be reunited with her former husband in marriage. It was not understood how it was even conceivable (laughs) for God to bring Israel back, even though the prophecies were clear. But God in the flesh, as his only begotten son, laid down his life 
He denuded himself of all of his godly character and attributes. Philippians 2, 7, right there. He became a man to fulfill the law of redemption. And he was crucified, died, he was buried, and raised from the grave to remain king and God of his people Israel. As spoken by the mouths of the prophets. And Paul said the world doesn't know this wisdom. Amen. Turn with me again back to John chapter 14. Matthew, why don't you read us 15 to 21? John chapter 15? 14 and 15 to 21. It says here, And if he love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Continue on to 21. Oh, my apologies. And I will not leave you comfortless, and I will come to you and yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that keepeth my commandments and keepeth them, he it is he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Hmm. So, in other words, if you love him, keep the commandments. If you want him to be manifested to yourself, then you keep those commandments, and he's going to take care. He's going to take care of praying to the Father. He's going to give you a comforter that he'll abide with you, even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not. So whatever man can keep hidden, if he gains by it, hidden he'll keep it. And I think that's what we see a lot is we see a lot of pastors, preachers, and teachers, if they can keep something hidden, because there's gain for him in keeping it hidden, then if he loves that gain, he'll keep it hidden. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that might sign off. I'm going to sign off. We just lost a, a dear friend, and we've got another one that they're unplugging. So y'all pray for us. All right. And we'll All right, talk we'll... to you in our later room. Y'all good night. All right, Russell. All right. Well, Heavenly Father, I don't know a better time to lift one in prayer than at the present time. 
Amen. Father, there's there's doctors, uh, apparently physicians around, some some of family uh, or relation of acquaintance or otherwise. We don't know the situation now, but Father, there's there's uh, obviously something has happened, and Father, we lift these individuals. You know who they are. We lift these individuals to you in prayer, and we say, Father station those around them that are necessary to keep those from pulling the plug that should not be pulling it. And Father, obviously, if if this is something that without the intervention of man already, this individual would have already passed in his ordinary course or her ordinary course. Father, we know that that sometimes is the case and that here with technological advancement and so forth, we have the ability to keep someone alive that was otherwise already dead. And so, Father, we don't know the circumstances, but we know that it's it's been serious enough that one has already passed and another one is uh, is in is in the situation that they may pass also. So, Father, we just lift it up to you and say, Father, let your will be done through it and bring your care and your your guiding angels there among all those that are around the situation. We ask it and we seek it. We count on it. We trust in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So if an individual, by the word, reveals things hidden, this is not one that needs to be exalted either. Praise and glory is is really right back to God. It's to be toward God. And a man can reveal truth over and over again. And that's some things that we talk about oftentimes. uh, Many of us who've come to know these truths of our biblical identity, it's not our biblical identity that is so important. But we clearly believe it's important enough because if it was important to Christ, it certainly ought to be important to us, but it's not what brings us our salvation. Our salvation comes through belief and trust in him. And so what we have is not new revelation. And when somebody comes to you and they have these hidden truths or these truths finally revealed to them, you have to recognize that that they are as babes because this truth, which should not have been so hidden, and it may not be of any fault of their own, and and I want anybody listening to this to understand that, because there are a lot of factors that go into one being led away from truth. As I said, if a man can gain by keeping something hidden, and he can... Uh, you know, have a, a gain, whatever that gain is, and he likes that gain, if he can keep it hidden, he'll keep it hidden from you. And that's how so many of these people that get into these positions of leadership and teachers and preachers and clergy and so forth, they seem to be more desirous of you not having those truths 
that this man expressed to me as having so many questions so for so many years and just in the last you know six months or so the the thing just everywhere he turned around another light bulb came on and another room was illuminated and it's just one thing that I, I thought it would be nice to maybe talk about is that God calls one plants and one might plant the word of truth another one might water it and it's God who's going to provide the increase as to how it bears fruit and so this goes to the issue kind of something I mentioned last week as well if something has inspired you in a message that Ted Wyland or Charlie at God send us men or uh, Pastor Weaver or uh, and, and Matthew that's joining us here tonight has received his ordination. If something inspires you in a message and you feel the need, you share that truth with another. And then if not sharing that truth with, a, 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 you know, a, I should say, and, and if you don't have a way to share that truth in speech because you don't feel like you can convey it, then by all means, if you feel the necessity or you have the means, then convert that message into a tract. Type it out into a tract or concise, consolidate it down or whatever you feel you might need to do and convey that through a tract. It used to be years ago, a lot of these men, you know, postage was cheap and, you know, you could reach a lot of people, thousands of people for for pennies, you know, and now we've got free internet and other things and thousands of people can be reached. And if you have a better way to, 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 to reach out to people or you have some, some talents and some, uh, uh, so forth that would help and convey those truths farther and wider, then by all means do it. It, it you know, um, and that's the work of being of one mind and you know not having the divisions that I see that that Paul is conveying and it's in this spirit of truth that Paul was was exhorting them to find it it's it's not in men and individuals that 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 brought you a piece of that truth that are to be in held in glory and esteem and so as each man receiving this spirit of truth, they're responsible to God for, for planting and watering and build on that truth. Not on that man, you build on that truth. And I've said it so many times before. I mean, uh, somebody may do a message and I may have the opportunity to, to listen to a, a message and it inspires a brand new thought in me or a further thought with regards to the same you know line of thinking that was in that message and so i may expound upon that and um you know try to you know convey some more things that spoke to me as i as i got into it but in chapter 3 at first corinthians at verse 21 he says therefore let no man glory in man and then in verse 23 you are christ and Christ is God. So, 
it was just one of those things that I got to thinking, you know, it was, it's always nice to receive a comment so that at least you know somebody is, is receiving the truth and, and has, has received it, frankly, and wants to share that with you. And so again, this message was not to somehow upbraid the individual for having reached out and shared with me the the uh, the the thoughts that he had about how much had been revealed to him, um, but just for me to once again be taken aback and say, you know, that's where I I step aside and I say, yeah, the glory is the Lord's, my friend. The glory is the Lord's. And may all glory and and power and uh, joy and praise be his. And if we can be a messenger along the way, then that's what God worked in us to do for this next one that was called. And so those were the thoughts that I had for this. I hope it'll be edifying to those that that see it or that hear it, see it in the archives. I don't know what the title is. I didn't have a title for it. I didn't even have a thought about a title. So I really appreciate the the new voices here this evening. And the, the uh, Rich didn't get to say hello to you this evening, but I know you're there. Um, and uh, are you, you're not heading back yet. Um, oh. Yeah, um, I think, is the 859, is that you, Brother Bill? Yes, that's me. Okay. Uh, all I get is an area code, so I can see an area code, and uh, just didn't know if I missed that one as being you or somebody else. So. Brother Bill, that's uh, Rich that's uh, uh, from the East Coast. Um, Hello, Rich. Sword, sl- sword Slayer, Hello. you remember him. Good to hear from I'm sorry, Rich, you were going to say? I didn't catch the last thing you said. It's good to hear from you. Right. Yep. Bill, Bill said it was good to hear from everyone. So, yeah, it was good to have you all in here, and this is where I try to close it up so that nobody has to be on too long. I, um, you right. guys are actually in Eastern time zone, aren't you there, uh, Bill? You're in Eastern, correct? No, we're in Central. Oh, you're still in Central yeah. there. Okay. Yes, yeah, I'm in Central. Well, me and y'all have a good night. It's good to hear your voice. All right. Well, thanks there's, for joining there's us. There's something interesting you guys might like. All right, go, Rich. Uh, there's a book that my wife picked up and we've been going through called Number in Scripture. And it's all about God's perfect way of making things. And um, let me let me get to it. This is about the bee. And, it, and it's all, the bee is the number three. In three days, the egg of a bee of a queen is hatched. It is fed for nine days. That's three times three. 
It reaches maturity in 15 days. That's five times three. The worker grub reaches maturity in 21 days. That's seven times three. And it works for three days after, it'll be working in three days after leaving the cell. The drone matures in 24 days. That's the male bee. Eight times Eight. three. Bee is composed of three sections the head and two stomachs. The two eyes are made up of almost about 3,000 small eyes. The cells of the comb having six sides, two times three. Underneath the body are six, two times three wax scales, which the comb is made. It has six, that's two times three legs. Each leg is composed of three sections. The front is, the foot is formatted in three triangular sections. The antenna consists of nine, that's three times three sections. Sting has nine barbs on each side, that's three times three. Is this design or is this chance? Why should it be number three of any other number? No one can tell. We can only observe the wondrous working of the supernatural laws and admire the perfection of design. Amen. Yep, I will fear thee and praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. A heart six and a quarter inches in length that pumps blood at two and a quarter tons a day. And it goes on for for. 70, 80, 100 years. Doesn't need any lubrication. Doesn't need a new swab put in for the pump. It just keeps on pumping, 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 pumping. Two and a quarter tons a day. But that little bee there... He really evolved, didn't he, Rich? Pretty amazing with all the threes, too. He knew exactly how many parts to make itself. Yeah. And, I, you know, the question for the evolution would be, for the evolutionist would be, tell me why the antenna has nine sections. Tell me why its body has three sections. Tell me why the stinger was that two sets of threes on the stinger? Three sets of three. Three sets of three. Yeah. The B is all now, divisible by three. Now if that if that evolutionist could answer that question he would really be wise. But mm-hmm. to answer it, you'd simply say, the designer, the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Amen. Isaac, and Jacob, who commissioned a people to be a blessing to the world, not because of their righteousness, not because of their names, not because of their greatness, but because he needed to somehow bring the creation under the dominion of Christ, 
under the dominion of the God of creation. Lest they should put two chemicals together and blow the whole thing up. (laughs) Well, I know it is an amazing God that we we want to please, we want to acknowledge, we want to confess that he is God and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, how about somebody close us in prayer, Isaac? Oh, sure. Lord, I'm not going to ask you for anything more this evening that you haven't already provided. You know what we need and uh, individually, and you've already given us everything that we need. So I'm going to thank you for all of the blessings that you've provided and for all the blessings that you're going to continue to provide. And that is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. All right, men. Well, good evening to all of you, and we will talk again next week, if any of you dare. All right, good night, all. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, y'all. Good night. Oh, that was Esther there. Sorry, Esther.